Welcome back to Eldritch Girl, uh, where we are serialising The Crows, which is all rights reserved to CM Rosens. And the theme tune is by Gemma Cartmel. The illustrations in the books are by Thomas Brown. You can buy the books from Amazon, Smashwords, Apple, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, anywhere ebooks are sold. The paperback from Amazon only. Um, and you can also get the ebook files from my Kofi shop directly. And if you do that, it means I get all of the profit and not like a small percentage of it. <laughs> so feel free to hop over to my Kofi shop. Um, and if you don't want to buy the books and my short stories that I also have out, um, then feel free to just drop me a tip in the tip jar on Kofi if you want. And that's kofi.com forward slash cmrosens. Welcome to the early hours of the 12th of May. Um, we are one day to go. Um, so this is chapter 18, Death and the Maiden. Um, content warnings include drunkenness, boundary violation, amnesia, decapitation and gore. Um, so this one gets a little bit, um, I don't know, it's nothing we haven't seen before, but uh, enjoy it. <laughs> chapter 18, Death and the Maiden in which Ricky tells the truth. 12th of May Carrie got in a few minutes after midnight, reeling a little from the wine and the shock, but largely annoyed. Pragmatism took over. She texted Tina and Mercy to let them know she was back, leaning against the door to absorb some of Fairwood's reassuring presence and hoping her annoyance leached into it too. Something's happened. Oh, shush, shush a minute. She meant to think it, but said it out loud, flapping at the air with her free hand. She pressed send, wondering if she should have some water. As she turned, an unexpected figure lurking in her hall startled her. Carrie yelped, jumping back against the door. "'You do know I live here now, right?' Ricky asked, offended. She panted, clutching her chest. "'Shit, yes, yeah, sorry.' She frowned, looking around. "'What's different?' "'Feels wrong.' Something's wrong. Nothing. Ricky was staring at her in a way she couldn't interpret. We hit a crow, Carrie whispered, in the taxi. A crow. It flew into the windscreen, broke its neck. She shivered. Ricky, what have you done? Nothing, Ricky repeated, but she was sure he was lying. He was a terrible liar. You lie to me again and we're done. Carrie couldn't stop her voice trembling. What the hell did you do? The adrenaline was wearing off, alcohol flooding back with a vengeance. I was having such a nice time. For the first time in, in months, I can't even remember. Then this bloody... She gasped, trailing off. Don't cry, don't you dare. Her tears didn't listen. Ricky watched her face crumple, his own eyes widening, reddening with his cheeks. I found the tongue... He mumbled, fidgeting, edging closer. It's a long story. Carrie sniffed, gulping back a sob. Fuck off. No, I really did. And, uh, look, I know you need the money. Got some today. He reached into his back pocket. His clothes looked more ragged than usual, as if he had torn them off and yanked them back on again in something of a hurry, and produced a wad of used twenties. Carrie dropped her shoulders, still sniffing. Keep it. He scoffed. What for? I don't know. Buy a new tracksuit? Ricky scowled, clearly uncomfortable with the concept. OK, 
Carrie sighed. I'll get one online for you, shall I? She eyed the notes warily. I guess I don't want to know how you got it. Nah, I wouldn't ask if I were you, Ricky agreed, deadpan, stuffing the money away. Despite everything, that made her laugh. You're such an arsehole, Ricky Porter. He didn't deny it. Sidling closer, her new lodger offered a tentative, steadying arm. You a bit pissed, love? he asked, amused without judgment. Carrie shrugged unsteadily and, ignoring the arm, gave him a warm hug. He didn't tense up as badly, or for as long. I'll take that as a yes. He patted her on the back and propped his chin on her shoulder. She rested against him, content. I love it here, she murmured, letting him embrace her properly, soothed by his gentle rocking on the spot which mimicked the gentle swaying of the whole reception hall. Can I have a glass of water, please? Ricky chuckled into her hair. You're a lot politer when you're pissed, he said. It's your house, what are you asking me for? Ricky, can you get me one, please? He sighed. Please. Ricky adjusted his grip and led her around the stairs, past the ticking grandfather clock and into the kitchen. He plopped her down in a chair and ran the tap. Carrie beamed at him. At that moment, her world was a walled-in wonderland and she loved every imperial and metric measurement of it and all it contained. It overflowed in a grateful sigh as he handed her a glass of water. You're lovely, really. Ricky snorted. Bloody hell. Drink it all. She grinned, sipping it in the mood to push her luck. Can I have some toast, too? I'm your lodger, not your bloody chef. Ricky matched her grin, but for a moment there was a shade of sadness in it, or regret. She blinked slowly, focusing, but he was already muttering something about white flour and salt content and putting two slices of bread into the toaster for her. What's wrong? Carrie asked, leaning on her fist. Ricky, you okay? He had his back to her. None wrong with me, love. Who has got something wrong with them, then? She was catching on to the questions she needed to ask. Ricky didn't answer. He stood over the toaster in silence until it popped and Carrie forgot she had asked a question at all. Have you enjoyed your life? He asked finally, buttering it for her. In general, I mean. He cleared his throat and put the plate on the table. I mean, this has been all right, hasn't it? Carrie squinted at the toast, then up at him. A vague recollection of Guy Bishop seated at the kitchen table rambling about destiny came back to her with a fleeting sense of dread. Ricky, what are you even talking about? Nothing. Ricky shook his head. I'm chatting shit. Ignore me, eat your toast. She munched on it while he looked on, rubbing his neck at irregular intervals. Life's been good, she said, not sure if that was strictly true or the molten butter dancing on her tongue. Oh my God, why does everything taste so much better when you're drunk, though? Ricky's snort turned into a delighted giggle. He drew up a chair. What's that like? What, getting pissed, but a toast? She offered him a plate, but he shook his head. Nah, I mean, having a life you enjoyed. He folded his arms on the table. Apart from that arsehole I ate. Carrie couldn't help herself. You ate him? My God, Ricky, shit! She trailed off, words dissolved in a geezer of laughter bubbling from the dark corner of her soul. Shh, you can't say that. Ricky leered, eyes bright. You're welcome. We had some good times too, Carrie mumbled, trying to be fair. At the start, I don't know, 
my life's been okay. I've always had friends, always fitted in, always just been... She met his gaze. Fine. His lips twitched in a shaky smile. What about tonight? Was there anything that could have made it better? She frowned. Well, apart from cheesy chips and a decent shag, yeah, it was fun. Ricky swallowed, blushing. Good. Sorry, I can't help out with the uh, rest of it. What the hell's the matter? Carrie demanded, a prickle of suspicion penetrating to the front of her mind, willing herself sober. It didn't work. Is this... She gestured at the plate of crumbs and attempted humour. Is this my last meal or something? Oh, shit, no. Ricky shook his head. No, not yet. Something in the way he said it sent a shiver down her back. Ricky? I saw your weird, he blurted, cheeks strained and red. Carrie pushed the plate away. I saw the threads of your fate and I saw... I saw where they stop. He looked like he was trying to stop himself, biting on the words as they tumbled out, but a soothsayer told the truth. I can't change it. Stop. Carrie echoed the terrible word, pronouncing it like a foreign syllable. What... what happens then? Ricky shook his head. I don't know. The image of the crow slamming into the windscreen popped back into her head, making her jump. She hardly dared ask, but she had to. How? I can't see exactly. Could be a number of ways. It's the outcome that's certain. When? He looked as if he was going to say the exact date, but he faltered. Soon. She realised she didn't want to know. How do I stop it? You don't. She swallowed, not taking this in. What? So that's it? I'm going to die. Everyone dies. Carrie shook her head, open-mouthed. Why? How am I supposed to... How am I supposed to live knowing that? What do I do? I'm... I'm going to Dad and Anne's. First thing tomorrow. Shit, I've wasted so much time. I, th I thought I'd see Christmas. Won't I? Why did you tell me at all? Because. Ricky knotted his fingers together. A slick smack of his second lips hailed the tendrils as they poured out over his head. It'll be because of me. Carrie's heart clenched. A thin tendril snaked out like a questing root, tickling her cheek. She leaned away from it, blinking, not able to focus. It glided, worm-like, towards her earlobe. It won't hurt. What? If I don't, she'll leave, won't she? Spend her last days without us. Ricky spoke to the house, which said nothing back. Carrie flinched, wide-eyed. No! No! The tip slid smooth as a needle into her ear. There was a cold prick in her head, an ice cream headache spun in a thin white line, and the warm glow returned with the loss of some other memory. She frowned, staring at her plate. When did I make toast? Ricky's smile was sad. Come on, love, bedtime. Your cousin's a looker, isn't he? Carrie said, trying not to slur. She stood and leaned against him. 
For some reason she had an urge to cry. Tears streamed, blurring her vision disconnected from a trigger. Which one? There's bloody hundreds. He was strong and lean, not like Fairwood's avatars, too much flesh moving under the surface. She nestled against him, leaning down to his shoulder level. He clicked his tongue, one of them, and adjusted his grip on her waist out of necessity. Wes, she murmured, emotions subsiding, tears drying on her salty cheeks. Wes? A pause. Oh, oh, it was a joke. His shoulder shook as he chuckled. Yeah, there he is, randy bastard. Did he try and give you one? Carrie snorted and let him sit her down on the stairs. I said no, he did offer. Probably just as well. She grinned and a tendril flicked against her skin, soaking up the salt from her paws. She brushed it away, still smiling. Tickles. How about we get you to bed, Ricky suggested, almost kind. Let's get you upstairs, love, and we'll talk in the morning. Carrie blinked heavily. I am a bit pissed, I think. It was such a good night and then more shit happened and I can't... I really like them and I want them to like me and I can't tell them anything. She sighed, wrapping her arms around him, safe inside the crows where she had no secrets and could be entirely herself. He yielded, inching closer. I can talk to you, she said. And then, sensible of his feelings on the subject of tools and toys, added, And you know you can talk to me. He gave her an awkward, out-of-character peck on the top of her head, rubbing her upper arm. Yeah, well. Come on, love, up we get. Carrie struggled upright again, bone-tired, and aware of the alcoholic buzz still tingling through her. Her mind was blissfully fogged, numb again, amenable to the idea of sleep. Were you saying something about... about omens or threads? she asked, something vague slipping out of reach. Sorry. Sorry, I don't remember. I say shit like that all the time. Ricky rubbed her back. The dead crow suddenly seemed a long time ago, fading into a murky mess of things she would rather not think about. The steps rocked. Easy, love, he caught her as she stumbled up them. Do you want to sleep in my room? she asked after he deposited her at the bathroom door. Ricky gave a shy, lopsided smile. If you want. You're handsome when you smile, Carrie added warmly, in the mood to give compliments. He stopped smiling. Down, tiger. Carrie shooed him across the corridor and closed the bathroom door on him. Go to bed, I'll see you in a sec. He hovered, tense. This isn't... I don't want... I know. She shut the door. Her reflection watched her with whirlpool eyes, immobile in the mirror as she tugged the bobble out of her ponytail and located her toothbrush. All grown up, hair the wrong colour. Not her reflection at all. You can fuck off as well, Carrie told it brusquely with a savage squirt of toothpaste. The mirror briefly misted over, and for once, something did as it was told. This time was different. When she climbed into bed with him, warm and soft and less inhibited, Ricky felt the shiver shooting through him and pooling, stiffening in his groin. Mine, he thought, and froze. That's not me. That house changes you, Harry Bishop warned him, gloating, imaginary. It's using you, Ricky, my boy, like you've been used your entire life. 
Ricky screwed his eyes shut, pressing her against him, fighting the war in his head. He had done exactly what the house wanted, hadn't he? Released the vengeful spirit, additionally imbued with all the rage and spite Fairwood kept contained, and now it was out in the world, ready to exact revenge for both of them. He'd given the crows exactly what she wanted. Now he could stay forever. Why wasn't it enough? Save her. Then they could both stay with Carrie forever. Mine, he thought again, a lump of greed swelling around the unfamiliar burn of lust. He'd had it once before, only once. He'd been fifteen. Cousin Wes, up and down for anything, even then, fingering Cousin Layla and sucking on her milky round tit, using that tongue of his, up against the wall behind RTM's outhouse. They knew he was watching. She'd opened her eyes, cornflower blue, stared right at him, and it got her off. He'd always liked that colour. He couldn't be certain what had seared its way into his crotch at that moment. Layla's big round eyes and greedy little moan, or Wesley grinning like the devil around that broad pink muscle rippling over her breast. Hell's bells and buckets of blood. He blamed it on the cocktail of drugs and lager that got him through most family gatherings back then, exciting his teenage hormones. He wished he could go back to that, bury all this in something noxiously, euphorically chemical, but he couldn't. It was too late for all that now. This, though, this feeling, this was what Fairwood wanted. He was almost sure. You all right, love, he murmured, her heat seeping into his core. She made a soft sound, not unlike one from Cousin Layla's repertoire, and wriggled into a more comfortable position, a contented dead weight on his chest. He rubbed her back in rhythmic circles. I don't want to he pleaded with Fairwood silently, staring at the sleeping ceiling. I don't want that. Even his thoughts felt like Fairwood's, heavy and dense in his brain. But you do, Ricky. You want what I say you want. We're entwined, but I am stronger now. He held her closer, aware he was exuding a scent not his own, a lonely garden, a library in summer. We don't need to fight about this, he begged her, a prisoner in his own head. I gave you what you wanted. But Fairwood was angry and not inclined to listen. Try and take me over, Richard Edmund Porter, would you? What good is my revenge without her? You're a lodger. You will follow the rules. Save her. He wanted to. He really wanted to. But it didn't work that way. We'd bid Fullerad. It was gone midnight now and she had one more day. Carrie, wake up, he croaked aloud, shaking her. We had a deal. We had a deal. I kept to my end. She groaned in protest. Her groan vibrated back to his groin, quickening his breath. Carrie, bloody hell. What? She pulled away, blinking and groggy. What's the matter? Ricky felt Fairwood pressing in around him, glaring through its knot holes. It's in my head, he whispered. She's in my head. Tell her not to. What is? She flopped back against the pillows and let him curl up into her. Her arms encircled him, the arms of the owner, a protecting wall against the crows. The house. He let her stroke his head, the soothing sensations grounding him, helping him regain control of himself.
that's better. Carrie was silent. He thought for a moment she'd fallen back asleep, but her hand still stroked the top of his head and over his second mouth. It opened a crack, enough to allow two slim tendrils out. They looped loosely around her wrist for comfort, tasting hand soap and the boozy memory of the pub on her skin. The crows thinks you haven't really chosen us, she mumbled, syrupy mint breath tickling his scalp. It thinks you need controlling. Persuasion. I don't, Ricky insisted, writhing against her, itching to claw his way out of his own skins, all of them wriggle raw and free out of the mesh and into somebody else's destiny. We had a deal. Tell her I don't, she'll listen to you. Never trust a porter, Carrie reminded him, drifting off. Ricky lay rigid in the dark. The burning in his lower gut hadn't gone away, but it wasn't lust any more. Maybe he could absorb her after all, take her in and keep her warm under his coils. Better than burying her in the woods, having to dig her up to visit, staking her to the spot when she rose. Better to hear her screaming in his head than not saying anything at all. He lay sleepless as the house breathed around him as Carrie's soft snores began and the red embers in his eyes glowed with a promise of fire. As dawn broke in streaks of peach and powdery cerulean, a cloud of flies buzzed above the slack jaw of Harry Bishop's severed head. A shard of a shaving mirror was still embedded in his neck. The crows had landed silently on the grass but were keeping their distance. A breeze ruffled their feathers, but they stood silent on the lawn of the residential home, scattered about with glinting, beady eyes. Picking their way tentatively between the birds, Dr Monday and Detective Inspector Paula Parsons, suited up in case the forensics were worth using, headed towards the decapitated cranium. Parsons had worked with Dr Monday before on several cases. They usually consulted in private, especially when the victim was what the good doctor termed an overgrounder, but this was different. Dr Monday was wearing Skin Mask 12, the one with which D.I. Parsons was most familiar, to keep continuity. Parsons had a takeaway cup of coffee in one hand, running the other lightly over her short natural afro, profoundly unhappy to be up this side of 6.30. What do you think of this then? she asked him. It's the elder Mr. Bishop, he said. I'm certain. Parsons knew that much already. Harry had never had a smile for her in life and the slack grimace was bitterly familiar. Dr Monday consulted a notebook. Let's see. Miss Harris had one of her unhelpful premonitions. When was it? February, here it is. Dark room forward slash grass. He manipulated skin mask 12 into an apologetic wince. Not a lot to go on, I'm afraid. That would match this, though. He wasn't killed here. Parsons wrinkled her brow and sipped her coffee. Maria would be going to bed now, locking the shutters of her club. She wouldn't be happy if this meant Parsons had to cancel date night. Remind me to sort out a psychic liaison officer or something? Bessie Haynes kept ringing in, saying something about big black birds being omens of doom, and some kid rang up a few nights ago having hysterics about faces in mirrors. We might have put two and two together sooner. What's with the flies? That's not usual, even for here. Dr Monday found himself swallowing. Flies? He turned his attention to the body. Ah, yes. 
he produced the orb, which floated pale and nearly invisible into the air. It hovered over the headless corpse, and the cloud of flies scattered into the sky as the orb approached. The orb floated about for a few moments before returning to Dr. Munday's inside jacket pocket. Oh, Dr. Munday frowned. Behind him, a crow called twice. Parsons shifted from foot to foot, glancing around at the birds with knitted brows. Why are they all staring like that? Dr. Munday shook his head. I'm getting a lot of activity here. As in paranormal activity? Great, she rolled her eyes. How do I arrest a ghost, exactly? Maria, ruby-nailed and bloody-lipped, would roll her own eyes at that. Dr. Munday shrugged. I'm not entirely sure, Detective Inspector. Well, that bodes well. Dr. Munday patted his pocket to reassure the orb. Parsons could see its vibrations through the fabric of his suit. It's angry, malevolent. I sense it has been contained for a time. That often magnifies a spirit's animosity. Could, uh, Parsons squinted down at the blood-soaked grass, a ghost really have done this? Dr. Munday nodded. You would be surprised what a spirit can do to a physical being. It is quite fascinating. I have a series of papers published on the subject in the spectral scalpel, if you were interested. Parsons held up her hand. No, thank you. Dr. Munday's skin mask appeared a little crestfallen. Spectral surgery is a very fascinating area. It's one of my specialisms, as a matter of fact. I know, you've mentioned it once or twice. Parsons set her lips and looked back at the corpse. I wish those bloody crows would get lost. It's like a Hitchcock film out here. They are not going to bother us, Munday said with some confidence. They sense the energy around the body. A sure sign of malevolent energies, I'm afraid. Bleary-eyed, Parsons looked up at him without gratitude. Cheers. You're welcome. Parsons shot him a suspicious glare, but Dr Munday wasn't being sarcastic. She kneeled down beside the head. So, our ghostly visitor ripped Harry's head clean off. Why? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Dr Munday stepped away. Until we know why, I can't guarantee the efficacy of an exorcism, of course and we would not want to dispel the spirit without giving proper thought to where it might be sent, or if it has the power to return. If its business here is so pressing, it may only be a temporary measure, and then we would be right back where we began, and it would gradually build up a tolerance to future rights. Like antibiotic-resistant diseases? Her coffee cup was no longer steaming into the air, grown cold in her hand. Right, well, let's not go at it half-cocked then. Parsons went through into the ruined room, scorch marks still fresh on the carpet, and looked around her at the sum total of Harry Bishop's life. Dr Munday followed, his orb prepared to be useful. You know I have a history with the bishops, don't you? She asked him, her voice tight and strained. She hadn't been out then, and Guy had been like her in some ways, quiet and unhappy. She put the college years firmly behind her. There were the musty old books she remembered, stacked high in corners in the bishop's house, precarious towers of yellowed pages and leather binding you'd had to navigate to get to the bathroom. Then there were the odds and ends, the tasteful statuettes of hand-painted porcelain, the ones from the bishop's own living room which Harry had never dusted. And then, even, she suppressed a gasp, the old globe from Harry's study. It was a giant, cracked, ancient thing, the kind on its own stand which took up a great deal of space and did very little except turn reluctantly when forced. It was so old it didn't even spin anymore. 
It had once been a drinks cabinet, but Harry didn't drink. His wife had, like a fish, until she'd wrapped her car around a tree. The whole earth, in all its intricate detail, was tilted to one side, the North Pole pointing at her from its compass circle. I remember this. Parsons studied it. He'd never let me touch anything in his house. Acted like letting me through the door was doing me a favour. She straightened up, tilting her head to one side. I'm sorry you were not accepted into the bishop's home. Dr Monday released his pet orb from its pocket. It hovered for a moment, as if uncertain of where to go, then began to circle. Parsons snorted. Harry was a racist old prick. She nodded at the ensuite, checking her, checking her white suit and shoe covers. Can you hear that? Let's see the bathroom. The door was ajar. A low buzzing was coming from inside. Jesus! Flies crawled over one another in a fight for space as they explored the tiles and the towels. The old man's blood was everywhere, the flies swarming thickest on the globs of arterial spray and around the slick, dark pool. Found the body then? Parson shuddered. Oh, that's a bad one. Can we do something about those flies? Dr Monday closed the bathroom door. That's not what I meant, Parson sighed. Who the hell do I call? Is this something I'm going to have to turn over to your lot? My lot? Ah, you mean the hunters. I would rather not. I fear we would end up with trigger-happy Sam Maitland and we're only dealing, so far as I can tell, with the spirit of a child. Magda will be able to confirm that. Monday, we're dealing with a spirit who put a shaving mirror through an old man's neck. Parsons spoke slowly, trying to come to terms with her own words. I need to sort this out. I would suggest a verdict of suicide, Dr Monday suggested. Dear me, this is very bad. He shook his head. Unless the ghost is protected in some way, I think I can catch it before it does any more harm. I will do my best. He pulled a pocket watch out of his pocket and Parsons stared at it aghast. Well, someone should inform poor Guy, of course. I will do what I can here, but I need to be back at the surgery by eight. Parsons exploded. My God, Monday, I can't tell Guy his father cut his own head off while shaving. What am I supposed to do about that mess in there? Police procedure was lost on Dr Monday. He stared at her. Forgive me, I didn't think. He opened the door of the bathroom a crack and the angry buzzing ate into Parsons like a buzzsaw. I won't be a moment, he promised, and, spats clicking on the tiles, he slid inside and the door snapped shut behind him. Parsons closed her eyes. Telling the family about a bereavement was the worst part of the job. She didn't want to tell Guy at all, but it would be best coming from her. Date night was going to be a washout this evening.
If you're enjoying the podcast um, and you don't want to buy the books, that's fine. Um, if you'd like to support me on Ko-fi though and just drop a tip in the jar, you can do that instead. And that's uh, www.ko-fi, so that's ko-fi.com forward slash cmrosens. It would be much appreciated.